Hi there, and welcome to the Love Six Scribe podcast, where we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and where we grow in loving the Word and loving the one who is the Word, Jesus Christ. I am Dawn Hill, and I am the Love Six Scribe. Have I got a topic for us today? I could begin and end this episode with one truth renew your mind with the Word of God and be at peace with God, but I'm not going to do that. Have you ever heard teaching on cleansing your home of demonic items that may be leaving a door open for the devil to wreak havoc in your family and your personal life? Maybe you have heard people talk about finding items in their new homes. There is one book where the author talks about finding demons in a drawer left over from the previous tenant in the form of a comic book and attributing this to poor sleep and and bad dreams. Some will teach that anytime you enter a hotel room, you need to cleanse the room because of previous evil and sin taking place before your stay and even checking in drawers and hotel rooms and removing any objects that you would be uh, concerned about that would have demons attached to them. I not only heard these teachings, but I also believed it and perpetuated it, unfortunately. This is included in part of the spiritual warfare we are to engage in as believers according to deliverance ministers. Now, I want to address the straw man in the room that's going to be propped up in a chair somewhere in response to my dissenting perspective on this subject. I do not, I repeat, I do not deny the evidence of the demonic, nor do I deny we are to engage in spiritual warfare. Quite the contrary, actually. Though I have experience with, quote, deliverance ministry, that is not the barometer of truth here. In fact, I'm embarrassed by my behavior looking back because I believe it contributed to more bondage placed upon others rather than true freedom in Jesus Christ. Christians are to engage in biblical spiritual warfare, and the Word of God helps us to know how to do that according to God's instructions. Much of what is offered to Christians as spiritual warfare seems to be adopting practices held by the occult and spiritists with little to no contextual biblical support, having a strong dependency on personal experience and secondhand anecdotal accounts. And frankly, some professing believers act more like pagans than followers of Christ. Now, that may sound harsh to say, but that's true. And and I could easily say that of myself when looking at some of the practices I had adopted through the deliverance uh, ministry, being on a deliverance healing team, prophetic team, all combined. When I look back on some of those things, it's it's embarrassing to admit some of the practices that I participated in and to find that there's no biblical support for them. Uh, we are to simply take at face value and not question deliverance ministers. When you hear these accounts and these anecdotal stories and personal experiences of what's happened, the it, seem, it would seem that the premise is that we are to simply take at face value and not question deliverance ministers conversing with demons or, or to test these personal accounts. I want to review some of this teaching today in order to evaluate it and to look at some of the scriptures cited in support of this belief. We will be listening to clips associated with this teaching, and I want to say up front, as I have said before, this is not to personally attack anyone. This is to inspect the teaching. We will also look at scripture to help us in understanding biblical spiritual warfare. I hope this is helpful for those who have struggled with this teaching and who have likely been held captive by these teachings. Let me begin by this first, since personal experience, it it seems to carry weight with people. For those that may be listening, I have a confession to make. (sighs) 
Several years ago, while dealing with the terrible threes in our oldest child, I had convinced myself that her issues stemmed from having a pillow and other items associated with a popular children's movie at the time. Uh, This movie had nothing to do with magic or anything overtly demonic, but all it took was a little Google search to send me on a mission to rid my home of the devil. And I was the type of person at that time who attributed negative situations to the devil. I mean, I believed in setting an atmosphere in my home to where the devil could not enter. Now, there's nothing wrong with playing music in your home and wanting to come home and hear worship music or, you know, things like that. There's nothing wrong with that. But when we begin to adopt practices that by doing these things, we ward off evil spirits and, you know, the devil can't enter and the devil gets irritated because he can't walk in my bedroom because there's worship music playing. Then we begin to sound again like pagans. And this is more akin to new age and worldly type behavior. I I foolishly rebuked Satan. Uh, And I'll admit that I foolishly rebuked Satan. And some people may be saying, why are you saying you foolishly rebuke Satan? Don't you realize your power and authority you walk in? I'm going to talk with you about that very thing of rebuking Satan and why scripture does not support that. Uh, I did those things and I did it in personal prayer, quote, prayer time, uh, in corporate and in corporate settings. I did this. When this incident occurred and I knew these items had welcomed something ungodly into our home, is what I perceived, I got rid of them. And I wish someone had opened up the word to me and talked some sense into me and at least tried to help me understand biblically and to also remind me that I was dealing with a three-year-old and just because we didn't go through the terrible twos didn't mean that we weren't going to go through the terrible threes and have to deal with that hurdle and get over that in a logical way. (laughs) Having said all that, you may disagree with me and you may have a personal experience that will not change your mind about what I'm about to share. But I ask you to take your experiences and test them according to scripture, however real they may be. Because as I've said before in other podcasts, there are people that have psychic readings. There are people that have had supernatural experiences that are blatantly ungodly. And these people would argue with you and tell you, but what I experienced was real. Your experiences and my experiences are not the foundation of truth we rest upon. As Christians, we go back to scripture. This is the foundation. This is the box, if you will, that God has provided in order, not that he's in within that box, but he has created boundaries for us. He has created boundaries for us to subscribe to and to abide by as his people to know how and to know the ways in which we should walk. I want you to ask yourself some of these questions. Really honestly ask yourself these questions. Who is at the center of the deliverance ministry? Whose name do you hear the most when reading books and hearing these teachings? If it is not Jesus Christ and if the gospel is not front and center, then we have an issue. And I believe we have an issue. If sin is not addressed and the devil is ascribed to every problem or the vast majority of problems, and we don't have a conversation, uh, we don't have discussions and teachings on the works of the flesh, sin, the world. If we're not addressing those things and it's looking at finding the devil around every corner and we have a problem, but the solution is the gospel. The gospel is the answer. I recently heard a well-known leader in the charismatic church You may know this name, Jennifer LeClaire. I want you to hear what she had to say when asked a question concerning this very topic. You really want to empower 
the average Christian to operate in the fullness of what they have available in God. What, what's that line between, yes, I have authority to pray and go after these things, but also when do I maybe call in some outside help if I'm just hitting a wall and I don't know what to do? What, what's that balance in there? That's a great, great, great question because with my friend who uh, she had just started coming to my church, some, it was years and years ago now, and she was telling me all these things going on, and she's like, you know, I've taken authority over it. I'm finding it. I'm loosing the angels. I'm pleading the blood. She's like, I don't know what's going on in my home. I can't stop this from happening. That's when you need backup. When you've done everything you know to do, then you need to call in other people because you're not seeing something or perhaps whatever's there is such a stronghold, and you don't yet have that level of authority. We grow in authority. We grow in wisdom. We grow in grace. And so she called me and this other pastor that I was working with at the time into the house to evict the devil. And uh, after that, after that, she was then able, if anything else came up, she was able to deal with it. If, if there was any kind of reinvasion, because the enemy does come back, he does try to come back, you know, even if it's not a, an accursed object, harassing spirits will try to come back and make you think that it didn't work. It wasn't really an accursed object. Why did I throw away that heirloom? That was stupid. I could have sold that. You know, I, I don't know what I was thinking. That wasn't true. I, but it is true. And so sometimes you do when you can't get a breakthrough on your own. You know, the Bible says one can put a thousand to flight and two can put 10,000 to flight. So call for reinforcements. She goes on a little later in response to the question of maintaining the cleanliness of the space or the home that you um, occupy. It's a whole long process, but the bottom line is it's not difficult a lot, but the bottom line is we need to fill our home uh, with worship, with the word. I mean, if you're not home in the day, uh, then why not leave worship music on or why not leave the word on? You know, I talk in the book about how in one room I'll leave worship on, another room I'll leave the word leave the word on, and another room I'll leave, you know, some preacher preaching. I'm like, the enemy can't didn't want to go in any of my rooms, you know, so because he can't stand that. And so you need to really be vigilant about what you even, you know, we get all this junk mail, right, through, you know, every week. And, and you bring in all these magazines and these well, that stuff has immorality. That stuff has, you don't want any of that in your house. So when I get my, I know this seems extreme, but listen, when you when you walk at levels like we walk and you understand the, the, the enemy, he really wants to find any way to get, he wants a toehold so he can get a foothold so he can get a stronghold. I stand downstairs and I throw all that stuff out before it ever comes in my house. It's not legalistic. I just, why give him the opportunity to come in my house, not having it? I'll be frank here. Even as someone who is in this movement, that sounds extreme. And speaking against it garners the label of being legalistic. It's funny how that works because, uh, and I want to say this, to be fair, Jennifer was not the only one to provide the disclaimer that actions such as these or providing a list of things to remove from your home that could invite demons in to reside is not legalistic. Uh, we'll hear some more uh, from another interview here in just a moment, and we won't hear this clip, but um, I can, uh, I'll provide the links to these so that way you can listen to them in their full content context for yourself if you choose to do so. I'm not promoting these teachings, merely providing them for uh, research purposes, for education, and for fair use. But she's not the only one that, that referred to this. And these two in, uh, examples I'm going to give you, they're not the only ones, I'm certain, because this is always said, you know, we're not being legalistic by telling you this, but this is what you need to do. However, when those outside the good graces of these teachings provide lists of scripture and context, 
in addressing topics such as these, it's interesting how quickly the legalistic or Pharisee shoe gets put on the other foot. So uh, there's going to be a heavy focus on what we do and our authority in these teachings. And, and I think you've already seen that just from what little clips I've shared uh, just a moment ago, and I hope you will take note of that. There seems to be less of a focus on what Christ has done and trusting in the Lord. And there will also be a heavy dependence on hearing the Holy Spirit for yourself and on personal experience. There will be little to no talk of sin, little to no talk. I, I listened to one particular interview twice and re-ran and, and, and uh, backed up and listened to parts of the interview and paid attention and took notes. There was little to any talk of sin in conjunction with these practices. And with that, I do want to make a statement in agreement with what is being said here in the following clips. Christians should not be participating in practices such as horoscopes, psychic readings, Ouija boards, tarot cards, witchcraft, necromancy, sexual immorality, and idolatry of any kind. I agree with that. The things that they're saying, the, the general concept, the general teaching of we should not, as Christians, be involved with any of those things, I agree with that. I agree that we are to have no part in these things. Romans 12 tells us we are not to be conformed to this world, but we are to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. And we renew our minds through the Word of God. We renew our minds through the Word of God, and we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us at the moment of salvation, and He helps us. He is the helper. Jesus said he is the helper. He would send the helper. The helper is doing so many things. He is doing so much through the life of a believer. And we remain in the word. We are told to remain in the word. John 8, 31, 32. Um, I know that this is quoted by deliverance ministers sometimes or partially. It says you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Well, we got to back up to verse 31. And understand that Jesus is speaking to the Jews there that are questioning him. And he tells them, if you are truly my disciples, you will abide in my word and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. How are they going to know the truth? Through the word, through remaining in the word of God. The word is vital in the life of a believer. It's not a tag on that we put onto extra biblical teaching. It's not something that we put like a garnish on with the teaching in order to validate it. The word of God is front and center in what we are to understand biblically in the ways that we should walk. And we will believe myths and devices of men and of the enemy if we do not stay in the word. If we don't abide in the word, we'll be deceived, we'll be led astray. And this is why when you hear any professing believer, including myself, and especially a teacher refer to scripture, you need to open the Bible and you need to read it as well. And I say that quite frequently when I'm doing these podcasts and sharing. You need to open your Bible and read. Whenever someone references a Bible passage, you need to open your Bible. Even if you have to pause, whatever, if you're listening to a teaching or recording that someone's doing or video. Pause, get your Bible out, and read. Follow along. Make sure that what you're being taught is what the Bible says. Because there are people that will take Scripture, and I used to be one of these people in, in doing this, and you don't have to be in this movement. Let me also say this. You don't have to be in this particular movement to twist Scripture. Anyone can do that. We even see this in other religions. Mormons do it. Jehovah's Witness do it. It's not just isolated to deliverance ministry or the, some, a lot of the topics I talk about. Even atheists can do this. They can take scripture and twist it out of context 
to make God look in a different light than the, the, what the truth of the word says. So we know that this can happen. One of the main discussions I want to talk about today, I will share from an interview that was done last year between Isaiah Saldivar and Jenny Weaver. Now, I do agree with them, as I said, of not having anything to do with occultic practices and things forbidden in Scripture. And I also believe that we will each have personal convictions about things we will not participate in, which is a Romans 14 issue. However, what you will hear in this discussion is an emphasis on demons entering your home and thereby entering specific objects. And this is where I take issue with this. And I believe it can lead to an endless cycle without peace with God, without trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, and having understanding of what biblical spiritual warfare is. It creates further bondage in people to where their freedom is based on their own doing and their own authority or on an, another individual guiding them and instructing them in such a way and depending on their authority and their power it, always looking for a demon lurking behind life's issues. I mean, it can lead to this to where people are looking about every demon. They're blaming a demon for every mishap they have in their life, every trial, every hardship, every difficulty, uh, every problem, not realizing or acknowledging the difficulties of living in a fallen world. But thanks be to God, he has sent us the Holy Spirit and Jesus has overcome sin. He's over and he's defeated Satan. He's defeated him. Where is this in scripture that demons can get into objects? You know, that's that's one of the questions to consider. We don't just go by what personal experience people say, but where is this in scripture that demons can get into objects? It would seem this belief solidifies the power of witchcraft and not the power of the Holy Spirit in the life of a born-again believer. Now, there is no biblical text that to indicate that this occurs. And what I'm saying is that there's no biblical text to point to that demons inhabit inanimate objects. Now we know that they went into the pigs. They had to have permission to go to the pigs, by the way, and Jesus granted that to them. They couldn't go on their own accord. So we see, for example, they did that, that they did not inhabit inanimate objects. There's nothing in scripture that says that. In fact, this belief is found in the occult, in animistic cultures, and the belief is silent on demons attaching themselves to inanimate objects. So this may help us help may help to bring pause. If the Bible is silent on something, then we probably need to be silent on as far as trying to add to and and these teachings. Because what happens is if we're saying, well, I wrote a book about this and this is going to help you, but we can't find this anywhere in scripture, then what have we just done? We have actually invalidated scripture and we've made it seem like, well, the Bible's not sufficient to help me in walking as a mature believer in Christ. It doesn't have everything in it I need because I need so-and-so's book in order how to walk in deliverance. And then again, as you, as you will see, just like I've talked about certain um, spirits that are talked about, there's books, gaggles of books that have been written about all kinds of different spirits. And when you read through some of them, you find that some ministers don't even agree on some of the characteristics or they add to, or they, they, they can't come in agreement with it. And then you go, well, who do you listen to? Because this person's saying one thing and this person's saying another. Someone's saying they killed Leviathan or they killed Jezebel. And then some people are continuing to write about Jezebel. You know, who do you listen to? These are things that you need to be thinking about. And let me just help you right now. It's okay to use critical thinking. There are people that are going to tell you in a subtle way, and they're not going to use those words. They're going to tell you, you shouldn't be questioning or, you know, I've had this personal experience and I'm validated because I've had years in the ministry and 
you know, I know that this happened to so-and-so, or I've written so many books on this subject. There's things that they will use in order to validate what they're saying, or they'll uh, preface it by saying, well, God showed me this, or the Lord told me this about this subject. That subtly puts into your mind, I shouldn't question this, because if I question this, I'm going to be questioning God. It is okay, and it's biblical to test all things. It is okay to use critical thinking. So there are tactics that, whether intentional or unintentional, there are tactics used at times to actually shut down critical thinking. And your critical thinking, you're supposed to use your mind. You're not supposed to shut off your mind and think with your heart and be led by your feelings and be led by your senses and be led by what you think is the, the truth. You are to use your mind to glorify God. And part of glorifying God with using your mind is to have it renewed with the word of God and to test all things and to make sure that what you are being taught is the truth according to scripture. So as I said, the Bible is silent um, on, on this about demons attaching themselves to inanimate objects. And when advising someone to get rid of their books, cards, etc., this is to remove the future temptation of those practices. Now, Acts 19, verses 18 and 19 is referred by deliverance ministers many times as proof of saying, see, there were demons in these objects or uh, the devil was attached to these objects. And so these people brought them and burned them and all this money, uh, the equivalency of a couple million dollars in our modern culture was how much these were worth. And look at the significance of doing this. Well, yes, what they did was significant, but it says nothing about demons being in those objects. See, that's reading into the text. It never said that. It said that the people brought them, they had confessed their sins, they believed in the Lord, and it's likely they burned the books so that no one else would be deceived by them. That's likely what took place. It says nothing about demons coming out of them, screaming in the fire, screaming in the flames. You know, there was none of this. It was the people became convicted of what they did. They confessed what they did. They brought them and they burned them. And we should be okay with that. It doesn't need anything else added to it. There are several passages referenced with regard to cleansing your home in this interview and the belief of demonic objects. So Genesis 2.15 was one that was brought up during the interview. Uh, It was referenced early on in talking about Adam and the garden as his home. And it was said he is to guard the home or the garden. So Isaiah says the snake came in as an angel of light and that Adam didn't see the danger of the snake, so he didn't command him to leave. Yet there is no mention of the core issue of sin and rebellion against God by Adam. And instead, he listened to his wife. Isaiah does touch on men being the head of their home. And I agree with that. There is an order, as I laid out in Scripture. Adam should have obeyed God. That's the point. Adam disobeyed God. He rebelled against God. He knew what was supposed to be done, and he didn't do it. However, the point of mentioning this account in this interview is to justify the teaching of not allowing demonic objects into your home. Another passage mentioned and discussed during this interview was in relation to anointing the door to your home and cleansing your home. And I don't know if Jenny said it or not, but Exodus 12, when you look it up. So let's listen for just a moment as to what she had to say about this. And we're going to look at this biblical passage in context. You can, you can have anointing oil, which the Bible talks about in your home. I'm going to go over steps on how to go through every room, clean house. And now is the time who remembers the story in the Bible where the Israelites where the spirit of death was coming through the whole town and God told them to put the blood on the doorpost. Guys, we are doing that now with the blood of Jesus. And we're saying, devil, you cannot cross. And the Bible says that the spirit of death passed over. It could not even get in. So listen, and that they were holy people. They were righteous. They were consecrated. The only way 
and the Egyptians had idols. They had things in there that said, come on in. There's no blood covering here. There's no covenant here. You can come on in. And so right now, whatever you're dealing with, you may be dealing with sickness, disease. You may be dealing with cycles. All right, I'm going to stop there because I want to go over this passage. Now, I want you to notice something that she said. She talked about how the spirit of death could not enter. And so it seems like that this is alluding to that it was a demon that was entering because she said that the Egyptians had idols, which they did. The The Egyptians had idols. They worshiped false gods, many false gods. They had idols and stuff and such in their homes. And so she said, because they didn't have the blood over the doorpost, that the, it was as if saying demons come, come on in. Is that what the passage actually says? Okay, this is where we pause. We pause and we open our Bibles. That is the greatest, one of the most powerful things that you can do is open your Bible and then you read it. <laughs> you read it. This is a very simple thing that you can do. This is a, um, a applicable example I'm going to show you here. So I hope that you're following along. Pause this if you need to, get your Bible out, and let's look at Exodus 12, because she did. She actually did not say the passage, and you don't have to say what it is, you know, that's also too, sometimes we tend to think, well, if someone doesn't know where something is in the Bible, then they don't quote the chapter and verse, then they don't know the word. It's helpful for us to refer to these chapters and verses, so that way we can find things easier, but chapters and verses are not divinely inspired. Um, hint, hint. Uh, I'm recording this on 2 um, This has nothing to do with Isaiah 22, 22. Uh, If you want to, you can go back and listen to a podcast I did on omen reading and chasing dragonflies a long, long time ago. Uh, we need to quit acting like pagans and get back to the Bible. All right. So now Exodus 12. We see here this is talking about the Passover. Now I'll give you a little bit of history on this for, for your understanding in, in case you don't know this. A fascinating thing to understand is when the plagues hit Egypt, every plague was addressing a false god that Egypt worshipped. That's a fascinating thing when you go to look at some of the history of uh, what was going on. For example, the plague about the water turning to blood. This was the, I can't even pronounce the name, I'm not going to try to, but this was the Egyptian, the false Egyptian god of the river. So it addressed that. Uh, when we see the, pro, the, the plague of frogs, this was to address the false god of the frog-headed goddess of resurrection. The plague of flies, this was to address Beelzebub, the lord of the flies. So you can see different examples when you go through it here. Every plague that God sent, there was a reason why he sent that specific plague. And it was to address at that time, it was to address the false god and to say, this is the true living God. And you can't overpower him. He is the true living God. Now we know that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. That's what scripture tells us, that he hardened Pharaoh's heart because God is sovereign. God is sovereign. And so as we go on, we see that every single plague is addressing a false god. It is no different in Exodus 12. So I'm going to read uh, verse 1 through 13, and then I'll skip down to verse 21 through 24. I encourage you to read the whole chapter on your own, but because there's so much that I want to get through to here today, I'm going to read some of these so you can see, get the general context of what's going on. Verse 1 in Exodus 12. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat. You shall make your account for the lamb. 
Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Verse 12, For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Did you catch that? The Lord was the one that passed over. This is the Lord. This was not an angel. This was, I mean, this was not a spirit of death. This is not a demon. This was the Lord's doing. And we can, and we know the Passover was the type and shadow of the, and it was a biblical feast that was fulfilled through Jesus Christ. I mean, we, and you even look at some of the descriptions of the crucifixion compared to the Passover lamb and how the lamb was prepared and, you know, the crown of thorns, the being put on a, a cross. You look at the lamb. I mean, I can't get into all this, but you, when you do some of the studying of this, the lamb that was roasted and put on pomegranate poles that were in the shape of a cross that were in crossbars through the shoulders. Um, there's some things I could describe to you that get really graphic with the Passover lamb that would allude to the crown of thorns. There's so much there. Even the use of the hyssop uh, hyssop was used in Exodus, by the way, to put uh, the dip in the blood and put it over the doorposts. What else was used with hyssop? Mm, that sounds like it was in the Gospel of John, for one thing. When we see this, I think in God, uh, John 19, when hyssop was used to dip in the sour wine and given to Jesus Christ before he gave up his spirit. There's so much in here, guys, that is the type and shadow of Christ. If we pay attention in the Old Testament and understand the things that are revealed in the New Testament that were already shown in the Old Testament. I mean, we don't need to add to Scripture to make it more exciting. It's it's fascinating and it's amazing how God has interweaved all these things together in His Word, pointing all back to Christ. Let's go on to verse 21. Um, verse 21 says, Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning, for the Lord will pass through, the Lord will pass through, verse 23, to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood... When he sees the blood and the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. Now, when you look at some of the study Bibles, the passage, uh, there are Bible teachers that believe the destroyer he's referring to because this, again, the Lord did this. The destroyer, many believe, is referring to Jesus Christ because of, again, this, this is alluding to sin and those that are not... Um, cleansed by the blood of Christ will incur judgment. 
So this is what this is alluding to. Uh, Verse 24, you shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And then let's look at verse 29. So at midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock. So again, I encourage you to read all that in context, but this is the Lord's Passover. Every plague we know was addressed by a specific false god to the Egyptians that the Egyptians worshipped. The Passover was no different. So this is pointing back to Christ, back to the atonement of sin, back to the cleansing of unrighteousness. There is no mention of a demon here entering the homes of the Egyptians. The Lord did this. So again, I'm going to reiterate, this is why you need to open your Bible and read along. I don't care who says it. I don't care how many people follow them. It does not matter. What matters is what scripture has to say. And if someone is teaching something, whether it's unintentional or intentional, and they're teaching something out of context, it's going to lead you into error. Several times an appeal to personal experience was made in this interview, and such as throwing th- when uh, throwing things away, guttural screams coming out of people, them having self-deliverance or, you know, objects talking when they were saying, don't throw me away or uh, things like that. And again, personal experience is to be tested by scripture. And no matter how real an experience is, that's not the foundation of the truth that we rest upon. And if it is, we're, we get into dangerous territory with that because then it becomes very subjective, very subjective, and there's no objective truth to it, that it becomes my truth instead of the truth. During the interview, they say there is a formula in the Word of God to repent, renounce, plead the blood, and say Jesus is Lord. So I have a few questions. I have a que- actually a couple questions with this. Why is renunciation necessary when repentance is evident? Uh, repentance would be a change in the way you're thinking to turn from those ways and to walk in, in, in the ways of God, essentially, is what repentance would be. To, have, to change your way of thinking to where you are acknowledging that what you did against God was sinful, rebellious, deserving the wrath of God. You turn from those ways and you're walking in the ways. It almost seems redundant to do that. You, well, you have to repent and then you have to renounce and then you have to do this, this, this. Uh, where do we see scripture instructing us to plead the blood? And I, again, I know that that is going to bother people. I used to do the same thing until I started looking in scripture and some of the passages that were used to back that up. I did that for years. I don't do that anymore. I don't plead the blood of Jesus anymore because it's not taught in scripture. And Jesus Christ has already defeated Satan. Um, Colossians 1.13 is written in the past tense. And I think that it's very helpful when I read it. It's um, it's comforting and it's encouraging. I want to read that to you, and I'll probably reiterate this near the end. But Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 tells us, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, verse 14, the forgiveness of sins. So this brings, should bring comfort to believers in Christ. We have been, we have been delivered, past tense, from the domain of darkness and transferred, past tense, to the kingdom of God, to hit the kingdom of his beloved son. We don't need to be pleading the blood. There, there's no need to do that. And I hope you understand that there is a biblical way to pray. And some of the things that I used to do were not prayer. When we're talking to demons, when we're commanding and demanding and doing certain things that we're doing, that's not biblical prayer. That's not, that's not the model of prayer that we find in scripture, even in the New Testament. 
Um, Another passage mentioned at times was in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 25 and 26. And um, in this interview, that was not the only time I heard that mentioned. Um, I heard Jennifer mention it, and I've heard other people mention it too. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 25 and 26 says, The carved images of their gods you shall burn with fire. You shall not covet the silver or the gold that is on them or take it for yourselves, lest you be ensnared by it, for it is an abomination to the Lord your God. And you shall not bring an abominable thing into your house and become devoted to destruction like it. You shall utterly detest and abhor it, for it is devoted to destruction. The context of this is Old Testament, um, and obviously, and we see that God is speaking to the people of Israel as they are going to be going into the land that he is giving them and to conquer those things. And it is, it is uh, referencing idolatry. And God did not want them falling into another, into the ways of continuing to idolatry and worshiping because he is a jealous God. He does not want anything else to be worshiped or to give, be given affection to. This is talking about idolatry. So this is not a proof text to say, well, you have demonic objects in your home that you may not even be worshiping and that you feel like that have, you just need to ask the Holy Spirit and see if they have demonic entities attached to them. Again, we've got to go back to scripture. And obviously, we want to see what Scripture says about certain practices we don't adopt, which in all of the talk of saying, you know, you shouldn't do this and shouldn't do that, there's still practices that are put in place against that, like I said, such as looking into numbers all the time and seeing that God's speaking to me through these repetitive numbers and such. And then we, we cross over into omen reading and scripture forbids that. But then you have people that fight against it, but then they'll tell you not to play with Ouija boards. You know, we've got to make sure that we are understanding what the Bible says in context and that people are not ignoring practices that are also um, blatantly forbidden in scripture and, and giving a pass on them because someone well-known is saying them and perpetuating them when they're not according to scripture and they look more like paganistic practices. Again, we have to look at context. He didn't want, God didn't want them worshiping other gods. And the issue with the current teaching of removing items from the home that attract demons to abide is that these objects are potentially not being worshiped. So what happens when you have an item in your home not belonging to you that is believed to be attracting demons. You know, they talk about this in their interview. And, you know, I understand where Jenny's coming from. She says, you know, don't, don't go throw, don't be throwing other people's items out. I agree with that. But having said that, what do you do when, when you have someone telling you, well, the Holy Spirit told me that demons are coming in through that, that object and it's not your, so what do you do? I mean, the whole premise of this interview was you need to you need to cleanse your home and get these things out. So what do you do in that situation? Because I really didn't hear any I didn't I don't feel like I heard any clear um, teaching on that. It just said she just said to use wisdom in that, but not to, to throw out other people's things. How is one to get freedom without obeying God and removing that item? Uh, Jenny mentioned a little about being an ex-witch. Um, she's given a testimony on that. And I, I praise God that she has come out of that. And she's mentioned that she was able to move objects without touching them. And she attributed the power to the presence of the objects and the demons within the objects. And she talks about, you know, she was able to move drawers without touching them and that she was able to move things that were on shelves for years just by stre- stretching out her hand towards them and they came off the shelves. But... And and again, the whole topic of this interview was you need to get objects out of your homes that have demons in them or demonic power. They do say demons, by the way. They say that demons will inhabit these things. But wouldn't the, I mean, in the example she gave, it it made more sense that the power coming, was coming from 
the potential indwelling demon in her, not in the object itself. Does that make sense? Otherwise, she would have had to throw out the drawer. She would have had to throw out all the objects on the shelves. But that's not addressing the issue, which is that she needed repentance. She needed the gospel in order to not operate in this, uh, this, this place of darkness and sin. So she provides a list of things that she recommends during this, um, during the home cleansing uh, and removing uh, objects from the homes to bring the cleansing. So the list includes, I'm not going to include everything, but the list includes things already mentioned that we talked about, Ouija boards, tarot cards, um, psychic readings, uh, recorded psychic readings. Okay, that's divination. We we do not participate in those things. We are not to participate in those things. We are to be a set-apart people. We are to flee from those things. But she also mentioned dream catchers, crystals, sage, statues of saints, rosary beads, yoga items, types of music, um, types of movies and video games, artifacts from other countries, specific books such as Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, Masonic pledges, candles that particularly she said that witches will use candles with certain names on them, uh, Pokemon, Celtic symbols, soul tie items, and to even be aware when purchasing items from thrift stores and yard sales as demonic things could be attached to those items. And I think she did mention in two, she said this was not an exhaustive list, but she gave this. And again, there was the whole preface, we're not being legalistic and telling you to do these things. And though I do agree, again, we should not participate in these things associated with darkness and the occult, this can go off the rails real quick with every little thing and and super spiritualizing. Uh, And it seemed like that near the end with thrift stores, yard sales. And so this leads to people looking for demons around every twist and turn in life. Then you have, you know, what happens if you eat food from a restaurant where the person preparing it practices sorcery or witchcraft? Is that an issue? I mean, you're ingesting food that maybe they they uh, prayed and offered it to their God, their false God. And, uh, and maybe they are worshiping demons and they have prepared your food and you have no discernment to know that is and you're going to be walking into your house with that food in your stomach. I mean, what, what's going to happen with that? Um, are you concerned about that? Uh, what if your hairdresser or your nail salon uh, lady dabbles in the occult and she uses items on your body where she's prayed over her her little area, her workspace or her um, her cubicle and she devotes her business to her false gods? And you're walking in your home, you got nail polish on, you got hairspray on. I mean, you. Th- and I'm being a little facetious with this, but at the same time, this is where this goes. Because then you start looking at everything and it, it's, it takes you off the rails fast. Um, this also breeds unnecessary fear and paranoia in people. And it isn't true freedom. We are going to go through difficult times. Uh, we are going to face adversity. We're going to face sickness at, t- at times. We're going to face trials of all kinds. And we will also have times where there is smooth sailing and life is easier. And neither one is indicative of the presence or absence of demons in our homes and in objects laying around our house. And I also find it interesting that in deliverance ministry, believers are talked to as if they are pagans. And that's something that I've realized and come to understand the more I listen, the more I read books that are talking about deliverance ministry that I'm familiar with, the more I read them, the more I listen, the more I realize why are believers, professing believers, why are professing believers being talked to like unbelievers? If there is an epidemic of professing believers in Christ, playing with Ouija boards, visiting psychics, and doing other things that are obviously forbidden in Scripture, and they are not being discipled in the ways of God based on Scripture, then there needs to be a a presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, first and foremost, because truthfully, many may not even be truly born again. 
And I don't want to be offensive in saying that, but that's the truth. If people don't understand these things, it could stem from they may not even be born again. They may have been convinced that, well, all I did was pray a prayer and I know Jesus. That's all I had to do. I, I just had to, um, you know, have this radical encounter with Jesus and I know him. And they may not even know the gospel. They may not even know why, from what they need to be saved. They may never have heard that. That may sound really foolish and naive and uh, simplistic to people, but that's the truth. And we need to get back to the simple gospel, first and foremost, as the foundation to make sure that people have heard that. And another issue could very well be biblical illiteracy. People do not read the word. There is a very small percentage of people that actually read the word every day, according to studies that according to polls that are done by researchers that are uh, reputable. I think it's the last one I checked. It was uh, the amount of people that read the Bible every day was around 11 percent, maybe, maybe 14 percent that read the Bible every day. That's sobering. And when we're not reading the word, then we are going to be blown around by every wind of doctrine and we're not going to grow in spiritual maturity. And that's what the Bible helps us to do. It helps us to grow in spiritual maturity. And may I remind you that the, that the word of God is God breathed, according to 2 Timothy 3.16. It is God breathed. The Holy Spirit carried men along, 2 Peter 1, 19 through 21. He carried men along to write the Holy Scriptures. He authored it. God authored this word. And it is sufficient to help us, to train us up in righteousness, to correct us, to reprove us, to rebuke us, to encourage us to teach us, to instruct us, to guide us, to lead us along with the Holy Spirit. So regardless of whether it's someone is not truly born again or the biblical literacy, the gospel is the answer. And repentance, it is a gift. And one thing I notice in deliverance ministry is conversing with demons. This is another thing that's really bothersome. Uh, You see this a lot that they'll give a microphone to someone that allegedly has a demon and they're conversing with them back and forth. Or you hear these deliverance ministers saying, the demon told me this, the demon told me that. I thought, I thought the devil was a liar. I thought he was the father of lies. Why are we conversing with demons? Why are we giving them a microphone? Why are we allowing them to speak? And, you know, Isaiah mentions it here in this interview in regard to demonic objects. So I wanted to play a little bit of that so you could hear, in fact, that this is something that is being done. You might have traveled away on a missionary trip. I've dealt with people, Jenny, in deliverance, where literally the demon was attached to an item that they got on a mission trip. And the demon one time literally told me this. I don't even want to be here. They brought me from Africa on a plate that somebody bought this person, and I didn't even want to come. You're the one that brought me because I was attached to the plate. I've had people, I've had demons tell me I'm attached to a prayer scroll that someone bought from Israel, and the demon said, I'm not leaving until they get rid of the scroll. I've had demons in rings and objects. There was a guy that was a gang member that got rings, and I don't want to say what he did to get him, but he did something very violent, and those rings were demonic, and the demons of violence and anger and murder and rage were attached to the rings, and he had to get rid of the rings to break the legal right so you have to understand what we're telling you is not some mystical you who doctrine we've made up this is in your bible so why is there dialogue with demons this is a question you should be asking yes the the people could be worshiping false gods and they can be worshiping demons in doing that we do see that in scripture however the whole premise of this interview is Demons indwelling objects in your home, in the life of a Christian, and you having this concern that you have demons in your house and that you need to cleanse your home. 
of these demons, instead of addressing sin, of rebellion, of having your mind renewed by the word, of discipleship in Christ, um, solid biblical teaching, prayer, uh, trusting the Lord, you know, all the basics that we are supposed to go back to. But again, you'll hear in, in not just this teaching, but in others, we, oh, we have to move on beyond the basics. But the problem is, is that we have people sitting in these meetings and in the, on these YouTube videos and they're watching them and in these lives on social media. And we have no clue if they're born again or not. And there's an assumption made, well, someone I've got massive amounts of people watching. So everybody must be a Christian. Maybe that's an assumption being made. Maybe not. Maybe they're not considering that. The gospel, it should be ministered. So I'm going to go back again and ask, why is there dialogue with demons? That's a, that's a question I would have. Why would a demon give away its strategy for remaining with a person? Uh, this is an appeal to personal experience for truth. This is based on an alleged demon speaking through a person. Many may use the one descriptive passage we have with Jesus speaking to the demoniac with the legion of demons in a prescriptive way. We are not instructed to talk to demons. There is no teaching that the apostles provided in the epistles to the church to speak to demons. And we are not told to gather information from them. When I hear stories and, and it's uh, this, the stories are provided to validate and to say, well, you know, the Lord told me I need to get rid of this and this and this. You know, this may not be an idol to you. I understand that. This may not be an idol to you. You may have fallen under great conviction of that. Um, but to say, well, this demon told me this and that it didn't even want to be here. It was in a plate they brought back. This is, we can't validate this. And this is not taught in scripture. And, uh, you know, there's just so many different problems that can be involved in this. And again, the whole thing of going back to why are you talking to demons to begin with? That is not a practice we should be having. Uh, you may hear 2 Corinthians 2.11 referenced by deliverance ministers. And um, I would just encourage you to note the context of that briefly that, you know, they say, well, we're not to be ignorant of the devil's devices. Uh, just as a side note, when you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, you're going to find that that in context has to do with forgiving sinners, forgiving other people. Um, I would just encourage you that you look at that because in, in context, it's talking about forgiveness. It's not talking about what, what's typically mentioned for teaching on demonology and deliverance ministry in, in that capacity. Um, Jenny gives the instruction later in the video of home cleansing with getting rid of the items, praying out loud in every room of your home. This is, these are the steps. So step one was uh, getting rid of the items. Step two was praying out loud in every room of your home. Step three was inviting the Holy Spirit to fill every room with repetitive prayers. And the repetitive prayers were to... Um, to put pressure on the demons. That was the verbiage that was used. Um, the next step was rebuking the forces of evil and speaking to them out loud to go. She instructs people to do this in every room. They, uh, the next step is to plead the blood of Jesus in every room. Uh, the next step is to anoint the rooms and the home with oil. And then the last step was to command every evil spirit to leave your house, which I thought that rebuking the forces of evil was would fall under that, but apparently I'm misunderstanding something. Um, so... I, Based on all that, again, I am the, the, apparently the queen of questions. So I have questions. I have questions, everybody. So it's shocking. I know. A few questions to consider with this suggested practice by any deliverance ministry. Um, does this practice I just described to you, step one, step two, step three, step four, step five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, however many steps uh, we could have for things like this, does this practice bring peace with God? Uh, is this exalting the name of Jesus Christ, or is the devil being placed front and center, possibly unintentionally? 
because there was a very heavy emphasis, and you see this in deliverance ministry, there is a heavy emphasis on Satan, heavy emphasis on demons. And listen, demons exist. Satan's real. We know that. And I think, again, I think it's a straw man to say, well, you know, you have people that are denying that Satan's real or there's no biblical spiritual warfare. There may be people that are saying that, but I have not heard anybody say that. Uh, even people that are that don't ascribe to the charismatic way. I have not heard those people deny that there is a real devil. I have not heard those people deny that there is not the need for spiritual warfare. I have not heard that. So I think that that is a uh, false dichotomy that's made with that to say to say such a thing. Too much is made of Satan and not enough of the gospel of Jesus Christ, not enough of Christ himself and exalting him and glorifying him and putting the focus on him where it's supposed to be. When you look at these steps, do we see prayer modeled in scripture where the devil is addressed uh, anywhere in prayer or is prayer directed to God? Is prayer petitioning, asking, supplicating, humbly requesting? Is prayer trusting the Lord, regardless of what the outcome is? Is it becoming coming broken before the Lord when, when repentance is necessary in the life of a believer? Or is this works-based? Now, in all fairness, I read off these steps. You didn't hear her say these things. So if you want to go listen, I think it's around the 50-minute mark in this video. You can go listen to her do this and, and give a fair assessment of it, of what she's saying. Is this adding more burdens onto people and placing trust in their actions rather than in the finished work of Christ on the cross? Another question I would have, where is the acknowledgement of sin and repentance before the Lord? Uh, aren't we instructed in Scripture not to pray repetitive prayers so that God would hear us? Uh, Jesus warns about this in the Gospels. He tells his followers not to pray like those that stand in the synagogues and, and uh, pray repetitious prayers and so that they think that God would hear them. And even in that instance, when she's saying that, it sounds like, if I'm understanding correctly what she's saying, and I don't want to misrepresent her, but it sounds like she's praying and talking to the demons. And again, there is no model in scripture that prayer involves talking to demons. Prayer is to God and to God alone. And if we feel like that we're being under uh, outwardly attacked um, in this world and that and uh, tormented, for example, that we go before the Lord and we ask and we petition, we ask the Lord to help us, to strengthen us, to bring his word to our remembrance so that way we know and we we submit ourselves to God and in that we res and after that we can resist the devil and he will flee not because of us but because of Christ um, because we are submitted to God do other religions have similar practices of walking through homes and inviting a spirit in or cleansing the room yes they do um, if you even watch exorcisms take place from Roman Catholic priests, if you watch Wiccans do this, if you watch witches that even create their own anointing oil to anoint and to cast spells and do such, there are similar practices taking place. And so we need to be aware of what's going on with these things and always go back to scripture in the proper context. And the main issues are telling Christians, I would say, that demons can indwell items and come into their homes, not excluding objects that are not definitively occultic or idols of worship. And again, I would just remind you, when you're talking even about the Old Testament and that's being referenced, we need to look at the fact that God was addressing idolatry. And yes, we can still have, have idolatry today. We can worship money. We can worship ministry. Uh, we can worship 
there's there's lots of things that may not have a form to them like the carved objects did in the Old Testament, but we can still worship them. And even today, you know, you see Buddha statues, and I would share the same sentiments as Jenny would about wanting to just smash these things. I can't stand seeing them when I'm in stores. But it's not because I feel like I'm face to face with a demon is because I understand that those things are leading people to idolatry and false religion and false worship, and it's leading them away from God. And it's sinful. It's sinful to focus on something that's not towards the true and living God. And that's the reason for it. So I can understand having the the passion behind that of of it not glorifying God, but I I differ and disagree with the fact of every single thing like that has a demon lurking in it or it attracts demons every single time. Again, I think we're ignoring the presence of sin that needs to be addressed in people's lives and the flesh, the works of the flesh, the things that are hostile to the things of the spirit. So having addressed the issues with with that about um, telling Christians that demons can end well inanimate objects in their homes, come into their homes, and whether they're being worshipped or not, those objects are. There's also the issue of rebuking Satan in these broadcasts and binding him in homes, claiming he has to go. Contrary to what you may think in understanding and what you've been taught, and I was taught the same thing. I was one of those that used to do that, as I said. But when you look at scripture in context, we're actually not told to do that. We are not instructed to rebuke Satan. And in fact, this practice is associated with false teachers. If we look at 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 10, there's two particular passages we can go to for this. If we look at 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 10, and we understand the context of it as Peter is warning fellow believers about false prophets and false teachers, we see Peter say this about false teachers and false prophets, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Verse 11, whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. And he goes on to, to compare them to irrational animals and creatures of instinct and, and blaspheming, about, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant. Another example of a passage I'll give for this is in Jude Verses 8 through 13 talks about, again, false teachers. This was actually the whole foundational, this was the whole discussion, really, the main discussion of the letter of Jude is addressing false teaching that was going on. And we see in Jude 8, it says, Yet in like manner these people, false teachers, also relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves in the, for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. And he goes on to put them in not so favorable, uh, such a favorable light as well. Now, as we're wrapping up with this, I want you to consider that is not a practice that's modeled in scripture. And I'd also want you to consider some of these passages of scripture. But first, I want to um, share with you some t- also teachings. It's a really good book called Truth or Territory by Jim Osmond. It really helped me when I was coming out of this movement and helping to understand the um, a biblical understanding of spiritual warfare. And on page 85 and 86 of this book, he actually 
uh, briefly mentions about this very subject we're talking about. So I'm going to read a couple of sentences from page 85 and a couple from page 86. He says, if the believer is in Christ, he is a new creation. All old things have passed away, period. To suggest that without the verbal specific renunciations of Satan, he will continue to have a, quote, legal claim on my family, possessions, and life is to say that the work of Christ did not break that claim. Although, as we have seen, the whole idea of that, quote, legal claim is suspect from the beginning. What is the significance of being in Christ if freedom from Satan is not secured in him? What good does the work of Christ actually do if I need to further continually renounce sins and curses and cleanse my surroundings of Satan's strongholds through incantation-like prayers? Second, this theology is an attack on the sufficiency of Scripture. You will search the Bible in vain for any of the prayers offered by Anderson, Bubeck, and others. These are um, authors that he referenced and cited in his book. There are no prayers for renouncing curses, protecting adopted children, cleansing houses, apartments, or hotel rooms, or binding Satan from dreams. There are no prayers offered for canceling Satan's claims, demonic curses, or generational bloodline demonic influences, not one. Not only do we not find any examples of them, we are never told to pray such prayers. And on page 86, I'm going to share a few little sentences with you here. He's talking about the different things that we can uh, glean from in understanding that some of these practices are not biblical. The third one is this theology leads to bondage, not freedom. Though these spiritual warfare teachers would say that this teaching helps to set people free, quote, it instead binds them to a superstitious worldview where Satan is not only present on every front, but he must repeatedly be renounced on each and every one of those fronts or he will control them. So I wanted to share that with you. And lastly, I want to share some scripture with you to to look at and to reference. Romans chapter 8, verse 7 tells us this. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. We can see right here in Romans 8, we see that it's the, the flesh is hostile to the things of the Spirit. This is something that's not talked about. It's not discussed in this teaching. And, and also, too, I noticed um, when, when there was a list given of the things to do, there was no repentance. I mean, they, they mentioned in their interview about repentance or renunciation, but that wasn't even part of cleansing the home. And I happened to notice that when, when they were going through that list of, mm, there's not even repentance here. This is all about uh, addressing the demon and we're not addressing our own, our own sin or um, falling uh, short of the glory of God. We're not talking about that and helping people to understand how to come back to a biblical understanding of, um, of walking with the Lord. Uh, John 17, 17, Jesus prayed this. He said, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. This is an important part in our sanctification as we walk by the spirit. We must Again, remain and abide in the Word of God. Um, just a, an interesting thing to point out, when you look in the Old Testament, for example, if one thing that came to mind when they were talking about people that were giving alleged accounts of hearing voices come out of objects, even in the Old Testament with idols, we see, for example, in Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 5, that... Um, that uh, Jeremiah is saying, hear the word that the Lord speaks to you, O house of Israel. This is addressed, obviously, to Israel. And in verse 5, he tells them, their idols are like scarecrows in a cucumber field, and they cannot speak. They have to be carried. They cannot walk. Do not be afraid of them, for they cannot do evil. Neither is it in them to do good. Also, in verse 14, 
In that same chapter, he says, Every man is stupid and without knowledge. Every goldsmith is put to shame by his idols, for his images are false, and there is no breath in them. And also in Jeremiah 51, 17, this is alluding to the same thing when uh, we take a look at this, that again, it's, it's when you compare false idols to God, there is no comparison because none can stand up against God. There's no other God like him. And these idols, again, they cannot do anything. They cannot do anything because they're false. This is a re, um, reiteration in uh, Jeremiah 51, 17 from Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 14. In, uh, I've already mentioned Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. Um, I want to mention Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13 to you. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13 says, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. And I think that that should be a comfort to us. This is not a hyper grace message and telling us it's okay to sin. We need to understand that as believers in Christ, the moment of our salvation, that we are saved from the penalty of sin because of Christ, because of his atonement, for, because of his propitiation for us on the cross, he satisfied the wrath of God on our behalf. And then as we go through sanctification, we have the encouraging and comforting message that we are saved from the power of sin. Again, that's because of what Christ did. We're saved from the power of sin. So what does that mean now? He didn't leave us helpless or ill-equipped. He actually sent the Holy Spirit to help us. And one of the things that the Holy Spirit does is we see this in Romans 8, 13. He helps us to kill sin. You read that passage, I encourage you, read Romans 7, read Romans 8 on your own time, read that all together in context and look at that. But the Holy Spirit, one of the things that he does is he helps us to, he empowers us to kill sin in our lives. He conforms us to the image of Christ. The Holy Spirit is, is our helper. He testifies of Christ. He is going to help us to be led by, his, by the Spirit and to grow in spiritual maturity. And this is how, this should be encouraging to us and that God is merciful. If we go to him, we can go boldly before the throne of grace because of Christ. Again, because of Christ, he is at the forefront of all this. We don't need to focus on demons. And I'm, this is, that's not to say that we're negating the fact that they're, that they exist, but this is to put it into focus here and to put the emphasis where it belongs. And it's on God not on demons. See, again, we can focus so much on that and on the spiritual warfare that we really kind of treat God as if he's like a backseat driver in all of this, but he's at the forefront. He wants us to depend on him, to trust in him. It's not the other way around. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 31 says, do not turn to mediums or necromancers. Do not seek them out. And so make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord, your God. Now, this is talking to Israel, but we also know at the same time that this, that the God of the Old Testament, same God of the New Testament, and he hasn't changed his mind about what sin is. Anything that's going to turn you away from the Lord of truly worshiping him and take your affections or you're seeking out answers from somewhere else instead of going to the word of God and seeking what's, what the instruction is from, from God from there that's going to turn you to, towards sin. And so, yeah, this was addressed to the people of Israel. We can still see today that God uh, still is is wanting his people to be set apart, uh, consecrated, holy, sanctified unto him. And, to be, and that means to be set apart. And we are not to walk like the world and look like the world. Again, we do not conform to this world as according to Romans 12, 
but we're transformed by the renewal of our minds. And we must read the word and abide in it in order for that to happen. Isaiah chapter 8 verse 19 tells us, And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? Now, when we go to the New Testament, we see in Galatians chapter 5 tells us about the works of the flesh versus the gifts of, or the, versus the fruit of the spirit. So Galatians chapter 5 verses 19 and 20 says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so if we are concerned about um, professing believers in Christ, participating in even the things that are mentioned in this list, and sorcery is one of those, idolatry is one of those, then we need to go back to the gospel. We need to go back to the fundamental core foundational teaching and belief of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If there are issues that, that we deal with in life, that the gospel is the answer, whether believer or unbeliever, to come back to the truth of the gospel and to remember from what we have been saved, to maybe even have a reminder from, from where we had fallen, where we had fallen when, when the Lord first found us, and to come back to the understanding of who he is and our dependency, our great de- dependency upon him to help us in our weakness and to strengthen us and to look to him to guide us and to lead us into all truth and that we can walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. James 4 verse 7 says, submit therefore to God, resist the devil and he shall flee from you. James was giving a correction to the believers then, and part of that was submitting to God. And in order to submit to God, again, that's we need to stay in the Word of God to understand what His Word says and to be led by the Spirit. And when we do that, we can resist the devil. Now, it doesn't mean that we stand up and bind him and rebuke him and do things that aren't even... Um, prescriptive in scripture. We don't even see this being descriptive in scripture, except by Jesus himself. The angels did not even again rebuke Satan. They said, the Lord rebuke you, but we need to follow what the word of God has to say on matters and doing it in the right way. And resisting is praying, trusting in the Lord, standing firm. Ephesians 6, you know, talks about having the armor of God. And what are you doing? You're standing. So, and you're standing and you're praying, you're trusting in the Lord, uh, you trust in the Lord and his, um, in his might and his power, it's all focused on him. And then first John four, four reminds us that greater is he who is in you fellow believer than he who is in the world. So you don't need to focus on what little demon you think is attached to some object in your house that you picked up at a yard sale or a thrift store. Or if you have Ouija boards in your home, then you need to burn them or get rid of them. You need to throw them in the trash. You don't need to sell them to somebody else to perpetuate further sin in someone else's life. And you don't need to keep them and store them away in the attic that would lead a place for you to be further tempted to perpetuate that sin. Get rid of it. Repent before the Lord. Renew your mind with the word. I understand there will be some disagreement with with some people, and that's expected. But I hope we can agree on this, and that is that Scripture is sufficient in providing the instruction we seek. God does not leave us ill-equipped. The Holy Spirit guides us into all truth, and He will agree with the Word of God. 
And our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has defeated the enemy. We are now able by the power of the Holy Spirit working in us to have power over sin in our lives. And if you are or have participated in actions in the occult or actions that are sinful against God, repent. Put your faith in Christ alone to save you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Pray and remain in the word of God. Remove items that would be a temptation to sin without fearing demons are going to infiltrate your home. Remain in a solid biblical church and seek biblical counsel if necessary and be discipled in the word of God. Above all, trust in the Lord and be at peace with God, dear believer. If you have been involved in this type of teaching and you feel ashamed for believing such things, his mercies are new every day. And I can attest to that. The gospel is always the answer and is a beautiful reminder to us from what we have been saved and that we are a new creation in Christ. The old has passed away. The new has come. We keep our eyes on the author and finisher of our faith. And we don't make as much of the devil, but we make much of Christ. I hope that this message has helped you today. Look forward to being with you here again on this podcast. Be blessed today by this word. Thank you for joining me on this podcast. If you would like to connect with me, you can find me on Facebook and on Instagram at lovesickscribe. And if you enjoy reading, feel free to hop on over to lovesickscribe.com and subscribe to my blog. I've enjoyed being with you today, and I look forward to our next time together as we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and we continue to grow together in loving the Word and loving the one who is the Word, Jesus Christ. Blessings to you.